Hello and welcome to another edition of Moving Abroad. I appreciate you listening. This is your host, Doug. Today we have a special guest, Bruce McDonald, who moved from Canada to Costa Rica. Typically you'll see people moving for lower cost of living, better weather, that type of thing. Uh, Bruce has a different reason, so you're going to find that out during this episode. If you want to find out more information about Bruce, you can visit his website, which is seenthattinker9.wixsite.com forward slash website, S-E-E-N-T-H-A-T-T-I-N-K-E-R-9, the number nine that is, dot W-I-X-S-I-T-E dot com forward slash website, W-E-B-S-I-T-E. And without further ado, let's get this one started. Here's my conversation with Bruce McDonald. All right, so Bruce, what part of Canada did you start in? I was born in Ottawa, and when I was 19, I moved to Toronto, and I did my university there, and that's pretty much my hometown now. Uh, Ottawa is, of course, the capital. Yeah, I'm 51 now, and I was in Toronto, yeah, for about more or less 30 years, with you know a couple years in Vancouver and a couple years in Taiwan, where I went to teach English after uh, graduating university. So what, what age did you move, leave the country? Oh, I, I've been in Costa Rica now about uh, three and a half years. So I, yeah. I, I left in fall of 2014. I came over here. Okay. So what was the main reason for making that move? Well, I had been visiting Costa Rica since 2001, and I'd always liked the culture, and I'd always imagined myself moving there. I sped it up a bit, you know, I guess it was more, I was thinking more in terms of retirement when I originally uh, conceived of the idea of moving abroad. And then as the market evolved and telecommuting became more common, uh, remote work is extremely common now. It seemed like the time was right. And um, I I had a few things I wanted to do. Number one, I became very fascinated with organic architecture. So cob houses, uh, hay bale houses, earth bag houses. This is about a decade ago. Uh, I bought 20 acres about two hours north of Toronto. And, you know, probably 1% into my project ran afoul of the local building inspector in a small municipality up in uh, the north of Ontario. And uh, I just sort of said, F this nonsense. And, uh, and that really made my mind up to come to Costa Rica. So I sold the 20 acres in in Toronto or north of Toronto and I bought some land in Costa Rica and then the adventure begins. So I I built my own home like without a construction foreman and um, just using my neighbors as labor. And as easy as an earth bag house might sound, it's it's actually a little bit tricky. Um, Okay, so you were 47... And you were yeah. thinking about retirement in the future, or you were saying, I want to retire now when when you started thinking about moving to Costa Rica? Or was that just something you're saying, okay, when I'm in my 50s, 60s, well, I'm going to move to Costa Rica? Yeah. I, originally, I, I was thinking I would do it later, but I sped it up because of the availability of remote work. Um, so I'm not retired. I just simply chose to live in another country. And okay. um, that, that, that's a whole topic. I, I suspect the real the focus of your blog <laughs> your your audio blog. Um, no, 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 no. Mm-mm. It's not about retirement. Okay. It's about leaving. Why somebody would uproot and leave their home country to go to another country? Now, there's people do it for all kind of different reasons. Most of them, most of them seems like financial, but not everybody. So um, yeah, anyway. it wasn't hugely financial for me. I make I make a good income when I'm working. I'm uh, I work in uh, mainly in software and telecommunications as a, as a senior technical writer. So I can do it literally. And I mean, for the last six or seven years in Canada, you know, you go in for an interview, you get the job, you're on site for about two weeks, and then you go to your supervisor and you say, can I work from home? And they say, <laughs> yes. So I've been, wow. I had been working from my, my home in Toronto for years anyways. And then I just thought, well, what's the difference between this and Costa Rica? And that was sort of the impetus to move. Um, so did you move and, for any particular reason? Like, okay, so you got... You know, was it you didn't like Canada as much, or just Costa Rica? You fell in love with it because of the weather, the beaches. What What was the main thing you said? You know, I'd rather be there than here. I I actually live way in the mountains, about three and a half miles up a mountain road. My neighbors are a Central American uh, native tribe, a Bribri tribe, 
and then campesino farmers. A campesino is just a sustenance farmer. They might make a little bit of money selling some stuff, but mainly you, you get families who live on land over here. It's, it's all through Latin America. Um, they have different, um, different law pertaining to land over here than uh, people coming off the uh, ang- um, Anglo-American common law heritage. So um, people will live on the land here, keep their chickens and some goats and drink raw milk. And it's an extremely healthy life. Um, they call them campesinos, which I think is Spanish for peasant. And so I live in a peasant community for the most part. People live in, live in kind of like wood houses and, um, or shacks and up on the mountain, a lot of cows, a lot of horses, a lot of goats. I've got pigs. Um, and chickens. And did you move to Costa Rica because you wanted to be on on farmland and it wasn't working out in Toronto? Is that what you're yeah, saying? I, I, yeah, I I wanted to live more deliberately. I wanted to grow most of my own food. I wanted to um, drink unfiltered water. Uh, although I do run my water through a filter, um, but mountain stream water, and I just. I wanted to live more deliberately, I'm, you know, uh, so if, I'm not sure if you're aware of uh, an American writer named Henry David Thoreau. He wrote this book called Walden Pond, and yeah. it was in the 19th century. Yeah, you know, so just leaving everything behind and going and living in nature, that was extremely attractive to me. I'll tell you, Doug, it changes, it changes you dramatically. It really does. For example... Um, Hey, with that wonderful accent of yours, where are you from? Alabama. South. Okay. So do you live in a town, a village, a city? I live in a city. Near Birmingham. Okay. So what mm-hmm. so what you what you notice in a city, uh, you you don't notice it right now. You you probably wouldn't notice it until you moved out of a city and you moved into nature, but there's a kind of a baseline for your perception, your consciousness in a city that is created by the sound. It's car horns, it's, it's, it's traffic, it's large groups of people on sidewalks. It's, there's a sound to a shopping mall. There's a sound to neon lights. There's a sound to street lights. There's all of these sort of things. And they're all man-made sounds. And when you go back to nature, it, all the sounds around you are very, very natural. And um, it, it, it really changes the way you, the way you exist and um, the amount of tension in you. So, that, I mean, that, that's one thing. And I wanted to minimize my expenses in life and get to a point where I could live on, I don't know, two $300 a month U.S. Wow. Yeah, and I can. And it's largely because of... Um, you know, the, the lifestyle I chose, which is, um, you know, building earth bag houses. And, um, so I don't have a mortgage, but, you know, my property tax is about $80 a year for a hectare of land, 10,000 square meters, which for American listeners is approximately a little bit more than 10,000 square yards. It's, it's, um, what is a hectare? It's two, it's 2.6 acres. Um, I'm way up in I'm way up in the rainforest, way up in the mountains. So when the rain comes in, the clouds pass right right um, through you like a fog. It's quite mm-hmm. something. I don't understand. You know, I'm, I'm not familiar with the this house you built. Like what what is uh, what that is and how you built it and that type of thing. Okay, well back back in the day and even in Europe. Everybody used used to build um, earth houses, and the main form of earth house was what was called cob. Cob is a mixture of earth and clay, and then you add water and you add straw, and then you step on it and mix it all together over a big tarpaulin, and then you just by hand with gloves on, you you move this sort of wet clay mud with straw into forms and and usually the walls are extremely thick like 20 25 inches thick and you build up your walls you do your window frames and you do all that stuff earth bag is sort of like the uh 20th century version of adobe building um but kind of like with the intelligence of architects brought to it and uh was um an architect in the middle east who really sort of developed it 
and you can get, depending on the zone, I know that there's about half the states in the U.S. now, you can get a building permit for an earth bag house. But it's the same principle minus the straw. It's clay and soil, and you, you, you put the, the clay and the soil into polypropylene bags. Usually they're like uh, 25 or 50 kilogram bags. Um, you get them at um, agrarian stores, like p- people who sell animal feed. Um, I got mine at a commercial bakery, so my bags are actually um, flour bags. And when you fill them up and you tamp them out, they end up being like this. I call them earth bricks. They're about six inches thick, 24 inches long, and about 16 inches wide. And you stack them, and you stagger them just like you would stagger a brick wall in Rome or Greece. And then about every meter, you spike rebar through it, number three rebar. And in between each coursing or line of earth bags, you put two lines of barbed wire. And this creates what, what they call in architecture tensile strength. And it makes the home almost impervious to earthquakes or anything really, flooding, storms. Ever. My roof might have a bit of a hard time in a storm, but the, the actual house itself, it, it'll be standing in 500 years. Now, one of the values of really thick walls, so with my then when you're done the walls, building them, then you plaster them. And there's many ways you can do that. I I did 50% lime and 50% concrete. And then I just whitewash them with lime wash when they're done. When all is said and done, you end up with these 20, 22 inch thick walls. And so it ends up being about 12 or 15 degrees Fahrenheit cooler inside the house than outside. So if it's 85 outside, it's about 70 inside your house. It's like air conditioning without the electrical bill. It's really, and I I thought this was kind of a myth when I was reading the earth bag literature. I thought they were just overselling, but no, it's, it's absolutely true. And it's an extremely comfortable environment to live in. So I built, I built four houses. The project went on for about two years, stopping and starting. Um, My son was over here. He's here now, actually, going back next Wednesday. But he's been here three times in the last uh, two and a half years for usually um, six months at a time. And and we've just been building this with my Campesino neighbors who I hired. And we've just been building these homes. And the project is done now. And I guess I, guess I have, I don't know, altogether about 2,800 square feet of living space. I can sleep about 12 people set up my water system um, just from a stream and using plastic hose and then water tanks for water pressure for your shower and your bath and all that. Yeah, that's about it. Yeah. You obviously had a totally different type home in Canada. This one here you have, you obviously would need heat in Costa Rica, so you have air conditioning just naturally. So that's Mm -hmm. how you're doing it. No water bill. What about your food? Um, uh, right now, I'm just starting up my animal stocks. So my, I, I have five pigs right now. They'll be ready for, they'll be ready for harvest in about uh, two more months uh, at 100 uh, kilograms or 220 pounds. There's, a, there's about 25,000 banana trees up on the mountain that nobody's using. Uh, they were planted years ago, but the, the cost of transporting them, transporting them to market for sale make, makes it prohibitive to sell them. Uh, so my pigs are raised largely on a diet of cereal from the, from the veterinarian. There's a, a kind of pig cereal you can get. And then bananas and breadfruit and sugar cane. So it's going to be a very um, sweet, healthy, organic meat. What about your vegetables and things like that that you eat? There's a lot of stuff here. I had tomatoes, but I took them down. I planted them in the wrong spot, so I've, I've got to redo the garden. My project's about 85 90% done. I, you know, we're still kind of tinkering, working on it, and laying walkways in concrete this week all through the property so people don't get wet when the rain season's here. I keep chicken coops, so I have my eggs. And then my main diet is rice and beans, and then... Um, Eventually, I'll have all of uh, my vegetables growing up here. So I'm going to do potato towers, and I'm going to do mushroom towers, and I'm going to redo the tomatoes. And uh, I've got three fruit trees on my property, so there's always fruit to pick. You, you'd, you'd have to go out of your way. You'd, you'd have to make an effort to starve up here. You can just go <laughs> into the jungle with, with a machete, and you, you could forage. 
I mean, there's all kinds of wild fruit, like grapefruits and oranges and mangoes and coconuts and um, avocados and just all kinds of fruit all around you, right? So, and a lot of the fruit here is really, really good for you. It's uh, like an avocado is a kind of superfood. So, yeah, the diet here is really good. And and then I go to the store and buy some other stuff. I don't eat, I don't eat any processed food up here. I won't, I won't eat any cereals. I won't, well, sometimes I'll have yogurt and granola, but I don't mm-hmm. think granola is what I would call a processed food. But yeah, it's, it, it's mainly potatoes, rice, beans, a little bit of meat when, um, when I buy it, or uh, it would be a lot of meat when I start harvesting the pigs. I have neighbors who have uh, cattle operations, so I buy raw milk and cheese on the mountain or trade for it with what I have when the pigs are there. So it's a whole it's a whole other life. It's like going back like a hundred, hundred and fifty years. Well how Minus, how far are you from what you might call a major city or area in Costa Rica? I am about forty five minutes from a city called Limon. That's maybe fifty thousand people, and that's the biggest city in my province of Costa Rica. Now Costa Rica is experiencing a big movement and it has been for the last 15 or 20 years a lot of people are going to the central valley to find work and that's where the big city is you know san jose alajuela heredia cartago these are all the big cities and and they're just like north american now i mean a, a starbucks all over the place <laughs> gigantic malls gigantic uh-huh. malls and that's where most of the expats move there very few people go into the wild the way i do what and, did you um, building your house did you stay in a tent up there did you go to the city uh well i because i was working um i i I rented a house at the base of the mountain and then i would i would come up almost on a daily basis and um i i lived elsewhere because i couldn't move here until things were at a certain stage because i needed a desk i needed an internet connection i mean literally we've done everything we put in our electrical post right and our meter and everything this is very the, literally the last place on the mountain that you can get electricity. If you go any further into the mountain road toward the uh, toward the natives, they they don't have electricity. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's there's a big there's a big difference between Central American natives and North American natives. I don't know about the United States, but in Canada, the average um, reserve is like Ford F one fifty pickup trucks and satellite TV on a bungalow. Over here, no. They really are living the way they did for the most part 500 years ago, minus you know rubber boots, Levi's, and shirts and hats that they buy in town or have donated to them. But you, they're really living an isolated life, and they're very strict as well, meaning that any ma- male or female in the tribe who uh, marries a non-native has to leave the reserve. So wow. they're, they're, they're really, yeah. So they're really kind of maintaining their bloodline purity. Do you miss any of the luxuries of Toronto or big city living? Or is- no, I don't. I don't. It's all I can do to go home and visit my folks. Um, <laughs> they're they're in their early early 80s in Ottawa, where I was raised, and mm-hmm. I I just have no no desire to even go home anymore. So I you know you don't miss anything. As soon as I go back to Canada now, and I sometimes have to for business meetings, I'll I'll fly in for a week and be on site at a client software company and I start to get skin problems right away. And it's, Mm -hmm. I think it's due to the the water in the showers. And, um, you, you notice physiological effects right away because you've incidentally detoxed living where I live. There's no fluoride in the water here, right? Mm -hmm. There's, there's one thing, you know, and, and the water isn't treated. Why do you continue to work? And I know you've obviously made a pretty good living. It seems like, if you only have to live for two to three hundred dollars a month, yeah. Well, right right now I'm just uh, only working about ten hours a week and bringing in an income of about fifteen hundred dollars. Uh, but I would be open to another um, another technical writing contract and the stress involved in that. I continue to work because number one, I like to work. You know, I do believe there's some truth to that old saying: "Idle hands are the work of the devil." Mm-hmm. Um, you can. You you want to know you want to know what undoes most expats in Latin America? Too much time on their hands. Mm. I I can't tell you the I can't tell you the number of people I've seen come over here, perfectly 
perfectly middle class Canadians or Americans raise their kids. Kids are through university. They do the mid or late 50s retirement. And in two or three years, they're just knee deep in cocaine and alcohol addiction. They don't know what to do with themselves. Wow. Sorry, I don't mean to... I need to darken your blog with some of the No, no, I want to hear that. That's what we're looking. We want to hear everything because the, the one of the reasons oh, that yeah. I wanted to was there's too much um, Pollyanna in the reports of, about moving to different places, and I know that it can't be perfect for everybody, but for some people it really is, and I'm fascinated with that as well. But we want to hear everything. Well, so if you retire, there are people here that, that fall into drugs and alcohol. I mean, it's it's. You know, there's some people that just don't have anything else to do but work. Yeah, I mean, the temptation over here for a North American is astounding, right? Because, I mean, you're living in a country where the average monthly income is six or $700 U.S. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a, a beer at a bar is about a buck seventy-five American. There's no tipping. Um, yeah. A gram of cocaine. A gram of cocaine is about $10 over here. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a lot of there's a lot of people who come over here and really lose lose their shit, you know. And, um, and I mean, and, and then there's other people who come over here and find a very you know well balanced life. But you got to keep busy. Some people will start little businesses, and if they don't need the money, they just um, they just want to run the business. I, yeah. But by the way, that's what I'm doing as well. When this project is done, it's going to be a hostel, and we're we're going to um, we're going to we're going to offer um horseback riding to the native reserve and have a lunch with them and a lot of people who come over here are very interested in visiting the reserves and then we're, there's I'm I'm at the foot of the Talamanca Mountains and the Talamanca Mountains are the most dense rugged natural wonder I think in most of Central America I mean you can go in there and you can see anything pumas jaguars pythons all kinds of hmm. venomous pit vipers and uh, monkeys and uh, all kinds of stuff. Hiking is big as well. Uh, you know, oh, people want to come and do a, a one-day hike through the jungle. Now, they got to go in with a, they they have to go in with guides. Uh, you have to do a meta pack with the guide. You have to have some ice packs with the universal anti venom if people get bit by something. It's mm -hmm. quite quite, a, quite an ordeal, um, <laughs> but it is. It is what it is. I mean, there, there's a difference between a rainforest jungle and a North American forest. I mean, sure. you know, you can't even walk through a rainforest without a guide in front of you with a machete clearing a path. It's it's unbelievably dense. It's a, There's stuff growing on top of stuff that's growing on top of stuff that's growing on top of stuff. There's hmm. there's not a square there's not a square inch of the rainforest not used. You'll you'll see moss on the rocks. You'll see Every part of it. It's just it's it's the most intense competition for life I've ever seen in my life, the rainforest. And why wouldn't it be, right? You're you're right by the equator, you have perfect sun, you have perfect and consistent rain. Uh, by the way, um if there's any truth at all to this climate change thing, and I'm not sure there is, but I think the further you get away from the equator, the more the climate change comes into play. There's something about the equator that balance every that balances everything. The weather here is consistent. It's been consistent for the last hundred years. It's not changing. Now, when I follow the, the weather back home in Canada, they're getting really erratic weather compared to the winters and the summers I grew up in, and, you know, uh, 30, 40 years ago. So it's, very, it's a very, very consistent place. And even your day, right? So my day is 12 hours of light and 12 hours of night. Um, the sun comes up every morning about 5.45 a.m., and, and the sun sets every day around 5.45 a.m., a p.m. And uh, so it really, it changes your whole circadian rhythm. It kind of like tunes you up, and you just, you feel a lot healthier over here, unless you get into the drugs and the booze, and then, and then you get real sick real quick in a few years. Sure. Yeah, that's that's one of the things that we hear a lot about moving and calming down, you know, going to places that are a little more laid back is the health benefits and the and fruits and vegetables and the food. You know, everything seems to be a big benefit. One thing, though, they don't, you know, you don't hear a lot about, and you mentioned some snakes and whatnot, and then people get involved in cocaine. What, what about the safety over there? Uh, you know, how do you deal with, you know, worry? Do you have to worry about? You know these these snakes, and how do you avoid that? And what if you got a community where people are making little money, 
and a bunch of uh, middle class or you know people are coming over there with a lot of money, uh, you would expect if it was here in the United States that would create a lot of crime, a lot of theft. Um, what's it like over there? Excellent in that question. Yeah, absolutely excellent question. If you want to put a target on yourself and get robbed, move in, move into an expat gated community. If you want to be left alone and get in, get along with your neighbors, move into the mountains with the wildest and most rustic people in the country. Hmm. I'm safer here than than any retired real estate millionaire living in Escazú. Escazú is like the Beverly Hills of San Jose. It's this suburb where I mean you can't you can't get a condo for under five hundred thousand dollars, and that's in Costa Rica, right? Wow. That's where all the rich people go, and uh, and they get robbed all the time. They get robbed two, three times a year. Uh, up here, no, not so much. I did get robbed once, actually, coincidentally, about seven weeks ago when I when I went to Panama for forty eight hours. And you know, I know who did it. It was one of my neighbors, and he has a. Um, they have this thing over here called el pension, the pension, and that's what they call child support. Uh, by the way. Um, you know, Costa Rica politically is not a backwater. It's keeping pace with these crazy liberal socialist democracies like Canada. 60% of the jail population, prison population in, in Costa Rica is men in arrears on their child support. Number one reason people go to jail in Costa Rica. So you, you can, you, and your neighbors tell you, like, be careful of this guy. He's like $1,500 U.S. behind on his child support. The police are looking for him. And, and, you know, you just, but even, even, even when I get robbed, I mean, they didn't take any of the computers cause they know I make my, that's how I knew a neighbor did it. They, they know I make my living on my computers. So they didn't take the modem. And I mean, I've got computers. I've, I've got like two Lenovo W510 ThinkPads, you know, 32 gig Ram i7 processor. I mean, it's a, it's a $2,000 computer, uh, notebook computer. Um, they, they took a couple bottles of cologne, a couple of really good knives. I'm a knife collector. Really, a really good knife is $300. And the battery from one of my trucks. I know the neighbor who needed the battery. Now, I don't get my stuff back. It's just what happens is the neighbor won't come over to say hello for six months. They wait enough time. And they're, they're kind of – it's almost like childlike the way they do it. it uh, but they do have um, – they do have home invasions in, in Costa Rica. It does happen more in the gated community type areas where people get tied up and everything gets looted and stuff like that. Those people um, are, are living the North American life and that everything's insured, right? So, um, so they, they, they can, you know, you'll find that the people who invest the most into something, they don't want to lose it, right? So they... They get insurance and everything. Now, my whole project here probably cost me between forty and sixty thousand U.S. I, I have to do a final tabulation. That's labor, materials, everything. And so I'm, I'm not heavily vested here, right? I could lock up and leave for six months. I, I might come back and a sofa or two might have been pinched or something, but who cares? You spend four hundred dollars, you replace it, life goes on. But that you well, know, do you there have a way to lock here. Oh, I I hand built I hand built my doors. They're like vault doors. You know. Now, how do you think people um, broke? What what did they go through a window? They got through your lock? No, they they two guys got a huge log and rammed the door for five minutes until it broke. That's how star, strong the door was. And wow. then other na- other neighbors other neighbors came over and chased them away. So. Hmm. Yeah, but uh, yeah, you're gonna get you're gonna get robbed <clears throat> if you come to Costa Rica. It's a hundred percent. You're gonna get robbed once. Might be just an iPhone ten. Might be it. Might be a computer, and it is always the people closest to you. Always the people closest to you. It's almost like pack rat. They see something and they get this overwhelming desire, and then you know, or drugs. You know, they need a little bit of drug money. You know, and so they'll they'll take something that they can sell easily, right? Mm-hmm. Well, you were saying that your phone broke up, something about the security guards at the gated communities. I didn't get to hear what you were saying. Oh, they, they can very often be in on the break-ins, very okay. often, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. they can very often be. But the 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 um, there's also kind of um, – there's, there's also kind – and I, I, I don't want to sound like evangelical or anything, but there's – there's, there's a moral character to the people who get robbed a lot, okay? So this mm-hmm. is, a, for the most part, a relatively simple Catholic culture in Costa Rica. 
And if you come over here at 58 years old, three times divorced, and five million in savings, and you're going out drinking every night, and they, you know, you're bring, you know, once twice a week, you're bringing home women, you know, uh, 35 years younger than you. It, it, your neighbors kind of watch that and go, "Well, that guy's got money to burn." I mean, I, my, my kid needs medicine for this uh, illness he's got. I don't even have that. I'm just going to rob him. And it, it, a lot of it, like I find. If you go into one of the, there's a few party areas in Costa Rica. So I don't know if you know this, but prostitution is legal here too. So there's beach towns that, yeah, there there are beach towns in this country that are literally just big brothels. And on the weekends, the you know all the beautiful women in the country bus in, and and they go they go to certain hotels. And I mean, you can go to hotels here. It's like there'll be three, four, five hundred prostitutes. They're all gorgeous. They look better looking than Jennifer Lopez. Very beautiful country, Costa Rica. The the people are very beautiful. Now, if you buy a condo in a town like that, and you're some bitter, bitter, disbarred lawyer in your late 50s from Chicago with a few million dollars, it's not going to take long to get yourself into trouble. You're hanging around with the wrong people. You're behaving the wrong way, and, and people have no respect for you. What about other crimes besides theft? Is there, you know, a lot of murder there or, you know, uh, beatings or anything of that nature? Murder is actually getting quite high now. They had, I think, 512 murders last year. And there's there's only about um, four or five million people in the country. So that's, you know, a pretty high murder rate. But that's due largely to to the increasing cocaine trade um, coming up through Colombia because it's all, it's all land-based now because uh, it's, it's too easy for them to get caught by air or water. So they use the Central American land bridge and go right up through Mexico. And so down around the Pacific coast, there's a lot of murders, but about 90% of them are gang-related and drug-related. So really there's only about 50 murders a year that are like, domestic or something, husband and wife or something else. There's really not a whole lot of violence here. It's a relatively peaceful country. Uh, Panama is not. I mean, Panama is a little more violent and Nicaragua is quite a bit more violent. Not not for foreigners per se, but just the culture itself. Like people, a Nicaraguan, you know, they'll they'll get into fights and kill each other with machetes. I mean, there are... Wow. Yeah, they're one they're one generation removed from a civil war, right? So you you kind of kind of like that um, ten years after the Vietnam War, you know, people forget the history, what happened down here. But when you know the United States was in here in a big way in the eighties, you know, coming up to, because Central America is one of the great staging grounds for the Cold War. And so um, the Nicaraguans can be quite fierce. Uh, you know, you just kind of don't want to piss a Nicaraguan off over here. And there's a lot of them in Costa Rica. They come here to work because there's there's not as much work in uh, Nicaragua. But, they, you know, they're nice. Everybody's family-oriented here. Like, it's a really big deal to have a family and have kids over here. So that that's sort of the opposite of North America. But I don't worry about crime. Like, I've, I've never been mugged or anything. Everybody, everybody down off the base of the mountain, everybody in town knows me now. It's very rare for um, a North American to be living here. I mean, on, on the mountain, the natives and the Costa Ricans, they sometimes refer to me simply as El Blanco, the white. I'm the only <laughs> white person here. Right? Right. El Blanco. Yeah. El Blanco. Yeah. So El Blanco. what about other expats? Um, I know you've got your area, but you seem to know a lot about Costa Rica, obviously. Is there a place, and should people from North America move there if they behave properly, don't get into drugs and alcohol and all that kind of stuff? Is there a good place for them to be, you know, where there's yeah. not a crime issue or, or these kind of problems that you, we talked about? Yeah, there's there's quite a few places. Like, you, you I mean, you can, there's a number of small towns in the, um, what we call the Central Valley outside of uh, San Jose, the main city. And they're really quaint little towns, you know, with 15 or 20,000 people. They're really well done. And there's a different character and a slightly different culture in every province in this country. So I would definitely recommend San Jose province, Alajuela province. I mean, you can do what I'm I'm doing. In fact, that's one of my business ideas is to invite other people up to the mountain here and say, you know, would you would you like to have a uh, a home you can go to in Costa Rica? And when you're not using it, we'll rent it out and make some money for you. 
you know, I, with what I know now, I could set somebody up with a water supply, their electricity and everything on like a half acre or something with the land cost registration, construction materials, the, the whole thing for probably under like twenty six, twenty seven thousand dollars That's a pretty minimal investment. Yeah. Yeah. So what's your website yeah. since you're talking about that so people can check it out in case you do start that business down the road and they're listening to this show and they, they're interested in what you got? Well, I, what, I, don't have a, I don't I don't have a website yet. I, I, I haven't put up the business marketing yet. I, I'm not done. I, I I'm still have about another six or eight weeks of uh, half-day construction to do here. It's all the little stuff now, putting in the walkways, landscaping, buying plants, flowers, uh, finishing the bathroom, the steam room, you know, all of these sorts of things. Uh, I'll worry about the business when everything's done. Here's a, a big question that it's a little different. A lot of people, when they talk about moving or when people are pitching them to move from the United States, uh, especially it's about health care, either that or finance. You had health care in Canada, governmental health care that we don't have in the United States necessarily. And Costa Rica, mm-hmm. what's their program like, and how's that work for you? Yeah, it's, you? Um, it's a publicly accessible social medicine program, like pretty much every country in the world except the United States. And it, to participate in it, it'll cost you about $100 a month. Okay, so you're, are you participating in that? No, no. I, I haven't been to a doctor in 30 years. I'm very good, uh, very healthy, good genetics. I'm knocking on wood here. I don't want to tempt fate. Yeah, no. um, well, what if you got hurt, you know, you fell walking a mountain or something? Patch-up stuff like that would be a couple hundred bucks. It's, it's not like the U.S. You go in, mm-hmm. if I needed an arm, an arm cast or an ankle cast from breaking my ankle, that, would, that might cost me 100 or 200 bucks. If I start to feel ill... And I go in and I get diagnosed with something that needs extensive treatment, I'd probably go back to Canada. I mean, I, I paid taxes in that country for 47 years. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you'd still be on that system there. Uh, so is, yeah. is it because uh, you think the service would be better in Canada than Costa Rica? No, it would it, because I'm not on because I'm not on the Costa Rican medical uh, plan. Extend, extended healthcare would might get a bit more expensive, and uh, it would be easier for me to just go back to Canada. Right. So if you were, the, let's say you were, you know, diagnosed with something that's going to be a long term situation, could you enroll into insurance there with a precondition? Uh, yeah, you can. I I will probably get on their system next year or so. Um, okay. So you. You, you would have the option to go to Canada or do something there, and well, even post having a problem. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's nice. The main thing, it seems like these countries where a lot of expats are going, that they're really stepping up their game on the health care because that's one of the attractions for people to move there. The North American countries are actually encouraging it. I'll give you an example. In the United States, you have what's called a 401k. And so you can save for your retirement and put money away and not be taxed on the capital gains and get a tax credit for what you put into your 401k. Uh, We have a very similar thing in Canada called an RRSP, a Registered Retirement Savings Plan. About six or seven years ago, the Canadian government passed a law stating that you could take your RRSP out, whatever it was, or the money you needed to buy a house in Costa Rica, and it would not be taxed. So when you go to use your 401k, let's say when you're 65, the money you take out of it on a monthly basis is taxed as income. So it's not, it's not taxed when you're building it up, but it's taxed when you use it. And Canada passed this law that you could take, if you, need, if you wanted a quarter million to buy a house in Costa Rica, you could take it out of your retirement plan and there would be no taxation on it. And everybody went, well, geez, that's pretty generous. Why are they doing that? Why are they promoting people move to um, Costa Rica? The answer came three months later when they changed the law in Canada, which stated that if you're, if you're out of the country longer than three months, you lose your health benefits in Canada, you have to wait three months to get them back. What they're doing is they're, they're, they're offshoring all these expensive baby boomers that they don't want to pay medical services for in Canada. They're actually encouraging people to move to Costa Rica. And proportionately, 
I think there is as many or more Canadians than than Americans in Costa Rica. So it's very popular amongst Canadians. But there's a little story of how the weasel Canadian government is offshore uh, offshoring the incredible liability of medical costs of the baby boomers. It, it's one of the, the greatest unfunded liabilities on the American and the, well, not so much American because it's insurance company run, but any country that has socialized medicine, they're dreading the baby boomers. They're all in their 60s now. They're all going to become big users of medical services for the next 20, 25, 30 years un- until they pass at, in their mid-80s. And it's extremely expensive. So governments are looking for ways to encourage or incentivize people to go to another country. And that's what Canada did. Um, and so they, it's a win-win for the Canadian government because they lose the expense of the health care cost, covering the health care cost. So you would be a victim of this. If you go back, you have to be back in Canada three months to be back on the health care? Or did you get an, you know, your grandfathered in on something? How does that work? Well, I, no, I, I might, in, in fact, lose three months. That is true. But um, it would depend on what my ailment was. Th- th- these are not things I'm going to take too seriously until uh, another 10 or 15 years when I'm in my mid-60s. I'm in, I'm in phenomenal shape for a 51-year-old man. I, l- I look better than most 25-year-olds with my shirt off. Uh, I've been like a lifetime workout guy. You know, I'm not a gym rat. I don't lift weights or anything like that. But I, I, my father instilled exercise in me and my brother. So, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I exercise, I exercise every day. I mean, I, I can work a day on my property here and, um, work as hard or harder than the 25 year olds and this backbreaking labor of moving stuff around. Right. Keeps you healthy. I don't. Yeah, I don't uh, have any health issues that I'm aware of, but I I do have to get this taken care of in the next year or so. But you know, it's a hundred bucks a month, big deal. Yeah, it's not bad. Well, it's it is percentage wise if you're living on two three hundred dollars a month. Yeah, yeah, it, it'll in, increase my monthly expenses by twenty five percent. You you, yeah. you can't insure you can't insure a ten year old car in Toronto for less than five hundred a month. Is that right? Oh, it's Canada is remarkably expensive now, you know. Except for a few key cities in the United States, like New York and San Francisco, it's it's probably much more expensive than the average uh, American city now. So you're you work in, you have to use the internet. There's a lot of information or talk about. Sometimes the internet's spotty in some of these places that people move uh, outside of North America. It must be working pretty good for you for you to be able to make a living using it. Yeah, uh, the the internet in Costa Rica is quite good, actually. They've got three telecom companies. It used to be a monopoly by one state-owned company about five or seven years ago, but then they passed a law and deregulated the market, so there's foreign providers in here now. They're all Spanish. There's there's ICI, or ICE, uh, which is the um, Costa Rican company. They do the phones and a lot of the internet. Then you've got Movie Star, which I think is out of Spain, and then you've got Claro, which is out of Mexico, and they're um, they're all pretty good. You drink coffee? Oh my God, a minimum of minimum of eight cups a day. <laughs> able to uh, grab some there, grow some yourself, or do you have to buy coffee? Yeah, I could. Coffee? I could grow some if I really wanted to, but I I just buy the local coffees. And they're really good. It's impossible to find a bad cup of coffee in Costa Rica. So how does a Starbucks survive? It's just really good coffee. Does, I mean, why would a Starbucks put be you know be over there? You mentioned that earlier. Is that just for expats? Where do they serve? No, no. Coast- the, I, I think I think the beans would come from the from the corporation from the head office. But mm. the success of Starbucks is its social its socialization. Right? People go there to meet people. Uh, they grow, go there for the free Wi-Fi. It, it's a good business model, the coffee shop, the modern coffee shop that uh, Starbucks and uh, other franchisees did. So I, th- I think that's what brings people in is the socialization and the cakes. And, you know, people go there on dates. It's, a, a Starbucks over here is almost exactly as a, the same as a Starbucks in the U.S. or Canada. And I did live in the U.S. for three years as well. I, I contracted there. You know, mm-hmm. so I, I I worked in uh, I worked in Buffalo, I worked in New York, I worked in uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan, Ann Arbor, Michigan, um, kind of all over the place. You know, Starbucks 
see, even in a Costa Rican Starbucks, you're going to see that serious looking dude with the notebook who's like trying to convince everybody he's working on a novel. So it's like even the stereotype personalities that go to that kind of coffee shop replicate themselves in Central America. That to me is mind-boggling that Costa Rica or in a place like Italy, you know, where they have this fantastic coffee and cappuccino that Starbucks would open up and people would go other than foreigners, I guess, to that country. That's kind of interesting to me. Eight cups of coffee, man. That's a lot of coffee. Yeah. You moved. It's almost like you wanted to disconnect from uh, major city life, but with the internet, it's almost impossible. Do you keep up with everything that's going on in Canada, United States? You follow politics and all those type of things, or are you just trying to disconnect as much as you can from that type of thing? Yeah, I, keep- I'm actually a news addict. Uh, it's, a, it's a consequence of getting a journalism degree. <laughs> okay, so do you do you have any pets? Did you bring any pets over there? I didn't bring any pets. I have uh, two American Staffordshire Terriers that I've uh, pedigree that I've raised from pups. And so you. How did you acquire them over there? I bought them off classified ads online. Ads in Costa Rica, so they have a lot of that going on, huh? Somebody we had, there's a lot of places where dogs just roam around and people rescue them and that type of thing because they, so many yeah. of them, I believe, one of my. They're really a remarkable animal that gets a slightly bad reputation. The American Staffordshire Terrier is, is an amazing animal. Um, I don't think that they belong in cities or even suburbs. They need to be unchained, they need at least. Um, two or three acres to move around on, and then you're not going to have any problems. So if you're, if you're living in an area like I'm living and you have a free-range chicken, you will get certain predators that will come in and try and get the eggs or get the chickens. There are mountain foxes uh, up here, and there, as you said, there's a lot of feral dogs over here because um, people, people in the rural areas of Costa Rica, they don't fix their animals. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't have to walk more than like, 500 yards to one of my neighbors uh, to see a litter of animals, uh, either a litter of kittens or a newborn colt or a litter of pups. There's constantly life around you over here. Uh, so those animals can't feed them all. They kind of go semi-feral and they'll, they'll come over to your property and they'll try and um, steal food. And you, you need your own dogs to sort of deter that. And in the case of the American Staffordshire Terrier, the reality is, is that they, they kill the other dog immediately. And nobody really frowns on that over here. I'm not, I'm not trying to gross people out or anything, but um, they're a remarkable animal to have. They were actually bred uh, for farms. They were bred for farms. And they, they will understand which animals are yours, uh, which animals are, and which fowl, like chicken, need to be protected once it's made clear to them. And any animal that does not belong on your property will immediately be attacked and killed by the American Staffordshire Terrier. I like them quite a bit. So like a fox, anything like that, they'll just take care of it. Yeah, yeah. They were bred, the American, you know the breed, right? They, it's sometimes confused with pit bulls, but it's not. Um, mm-hmm. So you got American uh, pit bull terrier and American Staffordshire terrier. They were bred for farms, and they were, bre- they were bred to be aggressive towards other animals and safe around humans. When you got... I guess so that makes sense. So when you got uh, robbed, they were around, but they're safe for humans, so they probably didn't do anything, or were they not there at the time? No. No. No, they weren't around, actually. They they were staying with one of my neighbors, which is why I got robbed. Ah, so if you'd have them there, I got you. How long does it take you to get back home when you have to go back to Toronto? The flight itself is about five hours, and and then, you know, you it takes me about – two and a half, three hours to get to the airport. I got to get off my mountain. I got to um, grab a bus and take a bus to another city. And then, um, and then I go to the airport. Yeah. So how, how does it work for you? You have, you mentioned you had a son. Uh, what about other family members? I mean, how difficult is it for them or for you, if it is to leave your country and go to another one? For me, not not that difficult at all. I left home at 16 years old. Um, I've always been ferociously independent. I put myself through university, paid back all my student loans. When I want to um, see my family, I go back to Canada. Although my project's not done. I mean, when it's done, they'll probably come over and visit. There's a good chance. But 
you know, my brother and sister. But that, that, that's part of the allure for me, actually, being away from family. <laughs> well, what do they totally different then? They wouldn't want to leave the city and move out into the mountains, or are they like you? Well, people people just get addicted to their lifestyle, right? People people like consistency, right? And that's really what the modern consumer economy is about in North America. Everything is so consistent. Although I think that's going to end. So, I mean, yeah, I don't know why some people would do what I do and some people don't. I only know why I did it. And I only know that I'm glad, you know, all the decisions I made. It's all turned out to be a really good idea for me, from my perspective. You know, you, you, you have to be really sort of psychologically prepared to be an expatriate. Because, um, so my first kick at the can was I, I lived in Taiwan for two years, from 1992 to 1994. And I taught English. That was my first experience uh, living abroad. And once you have the one experience, you're going to want to leave at a certain point again. You're going to have that wanderlust or, or not. You're going to teach yourself that it's not for you and you're not going to do it again. But in, in my instance, I, I really like living in other cultures. And um, the, the culture I've chosen to sort of retire and finish my life in is, is just like profoundly simple and direct and consistent. So I'm very happy with my decision. Well, some of the uh, expats that I've had on the show, the few so far, some of the ones that I read about, they always claim that they ha have more friends than they did at home, you know, a better community type thing. But this almost sounds like you're more solo, independent over there than that type of environment. Would that be correct? Yes, that would be correct. Wondering what's for dinner? Discover a variety of easy, delicious meals you'll love at the Fresh Market. Make dinner for two in 15 minutes with our market meal kits. Or try our crowd-pleasing meal deal for four. Visit the Fresh Market nearest you today.